It's going. Uh, it's been very interesting. It's been very interesting. I, th I think you've been following my uh, Instagram story as I am uh, currently living out of my car. But that's only another week of that, which it's been. Uh, it's been kind of a trip. I gotta say, weirdly today uh, I was watching a PewDiePie video where he was talking about diagenesis. I think or diet. I forget how you say the philosopher's name, but mm -hmm. he was a guy who eventually he whittled away all his belongings to eventually a wooden bowl and that was all he lived with and then eventually he got rid of that when he saw a kid cupping water to drink it with his hands he, and he realized that he didn't need his bowl either yeah i guess he was a real pain in the ass too like uh he'd shit and piss in the street and masturbate in the street and stuff and he really didn't care what anybody so <laughs> what uh, he thought. was indian then is what i'm gathering from this story <laughs> Yeah, he was a street shitter, as the term goes now. But uh, yeah, he. Uh, so what I'm saying is, is living out of your car will kind of. Uh, I think there's a tale from Peru as well about a guy who carried all his belongings on his back, and uh, it kind of teaches you what you need and don't need. And it turns out, all I, <laughs> all I've done is buy. Uh, buy rooms to stay in when the temperature has dropped below freezing to keep my computers my computer components from <laughs> freezing and my camera and stuff because that's what's important to me is like art making art and all my tools you know, just like as long as you don't end up like the guy from into the wild we're all good we just start eating berries yeah and just <laughs> die poisoned in woods yeah uh now uh, christopher mccandless is that was that his name uh, something Something, Something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't think I need to go that far, but uh, <laughs> all I'm saying is it's, re it's refreshing to be reminded. But uh, yeah, I, I move into a place next, next week. And given my online activity, I already know that I got to get a VPN to protect the people I'm living with. <laughs> uh, but there, there, um, they're uh the it's an 88 year old and a 58 year old and uh oh, the <laughs> and best it's in a roommates. house yes it's in a house and there's one blind dog and one dog that can't even stand up it's uh there's got to be a lot for me to do on the weekends i think i'm going to be requested for my healthy back and legs often yeah, yeah I've, I've noticed yeah, in, just... i've noticed in my oh, neighborhood around valentine's day uh somebody had started to put up signs uh, saying older woman in need of male roommate. And then it had like a list of things that would be required for living there for a very, uh, very generous cost. I would say very interesting. Uh, uh, hopefully that's not the situation you're finding yourself in here between a, a man and a woman and a dog. And I mean, at that rate, it sounds like everybody's falling apart. That house will be yours in no time. Right. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, if this Corona thing keeps up, I'm going to be the last man standing there. I think um, some of the weird footage coming out of China is like uh, the the videos where people aren't wearing hazmats and dragging people against their will out of buildings. And that to me is I'm like, uh, that doesn't add up. That doesn't add up to anything that they're ta talking about. I was like, that's you're there. If you had a disease that you thought would kill you, you'd go willingly to wherever uh, medical treatment might be right. uh, offered. And the people <laughs> – bringing you there wouldn't have to drag you and they would be protected and people would be very amicable. Um, and another weird thing yeah. that, yeah. And another weird thing I thought of today, which I think somebody brought up was uh, everyone's talking about how the masks don't protect you. And that's uh, I think that kind of reveals a little bit about the culture, at least that, you know, America, American culture, because people are like those masks won't protect you. But the mask is to protect everyone else. Mm -hmm. It's it's to it's to in other cultures it's, it's about spread it, yeah. it's about preve preventing other people from getting what you might have. <laughs> so as a result, it's kind of revealed how self-centered and like and uh, and annoying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Americans can be, which you know that's always nice when they're taken down a peg. And I think that's kind of a nice little thing for everybody to be aware of. Is that. There are other cultures that think about other people first instead of themselves. Yeah, that was one thing I noticed definitely when I went to Asia is it's it's the pole. If you ride the subway, you will know, you will recognize quickly 
that we are so regressive in many ways as far as that goes. And politeness, absolutely. I mean, it's like a stereotype with Japanese people that just politeness comes first, uh, uh, you know, among many other things. Um, but like, it's like, it's frowned upon to sit in like the elderly or handicapped spot on the, on the subway. It could be empty. You just choose to sit there. That's, that's mm-hmm. not a good thing. Um, Hans, you're, you're part Chinese. Do you wear those masks around the house? No, no, I haven't. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, um, do you, have you ever heard or read about this, um, conspiracy theory about the 5G being inserted into the coronavirus and they're testing what? it in China no, I and that's why they're keeping people locked in. Yeah, so they uh, came out a report about how this new coronavirus apparently has one weird component that the other types of coronavirus don't have, and they have not been able to identify what it is. And there is a rumor that uh, the Chinese are going to be the first one to test 5G, which is apparently like a military-grade thing that hurts people. So it's not just, you know, fast internet like 4G or 3G. This one actually causes harm and it's been used by the military. Mm. Uh, And there's this conspiracy about this coronavirus uh, saying that they are testing that into a controlled number of population in China uh, to see how they react to this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to take that one? Because I... I, I... something i mean the 5g stuff there's so much weird stuff surrounding 5g that that's a show in and of itself but the one thing i will say in relation to the corona virus or covid19 as we're calling it these days you know we're yeah, rebranding that's a professional um, adult name yes <laughs> yeah uh the weird thing I or weird it's just something i read somebody was talking about that uh 5g towers lower uh t t blood cells and uh as a result that would make people more susceptible to whatever viral outbreak uh that that might come their way so it is semi-coincidental and then there was another video that's been going around now but i never heard anything about it until of course it's relevant and then they go it was posted years ago a year ago and you're like was it though because no one's heard of it until now what it's relevant. But uh, it was about it was from a guy who basically talked about, you know, in 2020, 2021, he was saying that they're going to collapse the global markets with a viral outbreak. And it, uh, the things he was describing, are, I guess, are what what's going on right now, essentially. But it's like, OK, but I didn't hear about it when, when this was supposedly posted. I'm hearing about it now when it's supposed to be when it's taking place right, with right. somebody yeah. it's very easy to go this was posted and you're like well i got i need more proof than someone just posting a video with a guy talking and then like some screenshots of scribblings on a paper you know it's hard to it's hard to uh follow anything these days so it's just mm-hmm. like eh i think it's all true or none of it is. <laughs> Wait, i mean what what is what is the worst okay. outcome from just assuming that everything you're hearing is truth anyway I as you know nothing if you don't act on it you know like there's there's plenty of people that you know even Terry Davis what was the worst thing Terry Davis said was like crazy stuff on the street to people that was offensive um you know it's not like he he did anything he went anywhere or hurt anybody um so I think that's one of the things that I think Americans need to focus on is like how <laughs> how few people are actually nothing's changed in everyone's communities really nothing's gotten that much worse but we're hearing about all these people there's a rise of this type of group there's a rise of that group you seen crazy things on the internet oh yeah where where have you been you know because when AOL started, I was in chat rooms as a teenager, and you'd get a- ASL, which meant age, sex, location. You're like, it's probably a pedo. And you just yeah. move on and talk to your friends. <laughs> and it probably was. You know? <laughs> yeah. But that's how you dealt with it. You, you, as a kid, you just were like, ah, it's probably some creepy old dude. Just move on and, and 
ignore him. Yeah. Speaking but of now- uh, creepy old dudes and sex perverts, we've got this Quentin Tarantino <laughs> movie to talk about as well. I don't want to steer away from the conspiracy talk. I've noticed the. I mean, the last two episodes I put out uh, with you were talking about Mel Gibson, and that coincided with. Uh, he, I guess he issued some kind of clarification that the movie he's working on with Shia LaBeouf about the Rothschilds is not actually about the real family, but we all know. And uh, <laughs> before that, I had Jay Canrahan on, and we were talking about Epstein. And both of yeah. those episodes have been doing uh, spectacularly. So um, <laughs> there's there's definitely something. Like, I mean, at this rate, uh, we're going to probably have to rebrand the show. So... <laughs> You know, movie it, movies in X slash X slash or yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> At least get into the uh, the Mel Gibson film conspiracy theory a little more in depth than maybe we did on the last show. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this evening. This is Quentin Tarantino's latest film, released in I believe it was the summer of 2019. And I the reason why this movie came to mind, we had already done an episode uh, months ago on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that just never got released because it was a mess and Hans hadn't actually seen the movie. He was just bullshitting for the entire show. Um, I'm just asking stupid questions that don't happen in the movie. Just like, well, did this happen? No. Oh, all right. <laughs> that was my. That was all I added to that conversation. Yeah. Very convincing. Very convincing. Um, uh, you had kept uh, uh, referencing this movie on the show we did about Mel Gibson as a... Uh, uh, I don't, I don't even remember in relation to what, but it occurred to me that uh, you could be potentially a good guest to dive into this film. And it was a movie I'd been getting, uh, I, I had meant to get around to uh, cover on this program because I feel like it comments on so much of what's going on today, the past and the present and probable future. Uh, what, is, what is your feeling about Quentin Tarantino as a director, generally speaking? Um... I, I, as a cinema person, um, there's a, there's an introduction to Quentin where you see his first movie, whatever that might be. And it seems, uh, for me, it was, um, I think the first one I actually watched was Pulp Fiction. And then once I saw Pulp Fiction, it was, I got to go back and watch what's his first one. I always like to, whatever I find someone I like, I always want to find their, their first one. So then I watched uh, Reservoir Dogs is the the first yeah. official one, but he also had uh, My Best Friend's Birthday, the the lost Oof. film that you can buy on eBay. I think there's like a little film reel of the 35 minutes that remain that was that was for sale at least a while back. Okay, I haven't seen that, so I'm gonna, that's post this show. I'm going to be checking that out. I haven't seen it um, either. So, Hans, but <clears throat> it's, I think it's on Vimeo. I think someone loaded it online. Actually, I remember. And it's just—it's in black and white, if I'm not mistaken, and it, it's just weaking, like a weary in it, uh, Quentin, and he's not a great actor. So it. Cool. Uh, I mean, if you're a completionist, I guess yeah, check it out. Yeah. I'm, um. Uh, my him as a director is he is. I'm going to talk about him from the 90s because I think I like 90s Quentin more so than uh, – I think po- there's two Quentins. There's post-Kill Bill Quentin and and pre-Kill Kill Bill uh, Quentin. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's 100% Kill Bill, accurate. I, I, I would say I – Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. <clears throat> uh, I I just would say that uh, that's, that's the Quentin I like. Um that being said, ironically, I think <laughs> this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I think Death Proof is his best movie uh, because it's it's a it's the one time where you where I felt like he wasn't ripping off uh, he wasn't ripping any specific person off. He was actually doing something new um, and original while simultaneously paying homage like homaging to things that he liked or styles that he liked without being blatantly like, here's a shot that's straight out of the warriors. You know, here's a shot that's straight out of a De Palma film. Here's a shot that's straight out of, you know, a lot of his visuals are just straight up uh, kind of ripoffs of, uh, of people that he likes, Mm -hmm. which everybody does, but his are just like 
blatantly like rip stuff. He rip, but he rips stuff off that nobody is really seen. So it's like mm-hmm. the average person just thinks it's cool. But if you're the more you expand your film knowledge, the more you go, oh, I saw this before. Oh, I saw this before. Oh, he's taking it, and it can take you out of his movie. I think sometimes. So I have a mixed opinion of him, but. I do think there are there's time where he's written some dialogue and scenes and allowed actors to act in ways that produce really great results. But uh, his films for me are always a mixed bag. I guess that's a long answer, but that's kind of how I feel about him. It's it's not it's a complicated relationship with Quentin Quentin and his work. No, I I think it's actually very interesting that you cite Death Proof as uh, his best film. Because that, that I don't I don't think I've ever heard that from anybody. Usually that's that's ranked the lowest, if anything. Um, and I completely agree with you that there's two different Quentin Tarantinos. You have the the '90s era, and then you have the more novel esque, uh, fleshed out, over the top uh, films that that he's made. These little <laughs> mini epics. Uh, and I, I I had been getting into a, a conversation earlier today with a friend of mine about Michael Mann, and I don't know how well versed on his filmography you are. But you can go from Thief, which is his first movie, into The Keep and Manhunter and, I mean, all five or six seasons of Miami Vice. And there's a pretty consistent texture to all of his films that he just then abandons with, I think, the film that came after uh, Manhunter was Last of the Mohicans. And then that's just gone. And then Michael Mann is suddenly like a digital director in the 90s and the early aughts where he's using like low-grade Sony handheld cameras and Miami Vice and Collateral and probably Black Hat. I didn't see that one. Um, so, so, I mean, there are there are definitely some directors where you see them go through uh, like the highlight of their career all within a 10-year span. And then they flame out and they just make shit and you don't really see them anymore. I think John Carpenter is probably an example of that, although uh, his 90s work is maybe more of an acquired taste. Something like The Ward is completely unwatchable. Um, and if you're lucky, you'll get a director that does have a, 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 I guess, a change of trajectory where they just become like a brand new artist with their film, film uh, trajectory. Yeah, um, I think... I think um, the biggest, I think the biggest thing that happens for any, I mean, this is true of any artist. There's, um, there comes a time where they become less relevant in our ever-changing kind of fashionable cyclical society, where it's it's in fashion and then it's out of fashion in such a in such a way that, you know, you you look at uh, something like. Um, frenzy from alfred hitchcock which was like his last kind of good good movie and it feels very different than anything he made in the 50s and it's like this or i think it's early 70s when he made it uh but it feels like he's trying to keep up with the the youngsters you know what i mean like quentin quentin kind of i i will give him this it's he's done he's doing his own thing in such a way that um that uh he, even though I think he's, you know, it's the ninth film and he's already said he's going to do 10. So it's like, eh, who gives a fuck? Yeah, I, I, I get a sense from him. He was like, whatever. The 10th one, I got to make the last one good. So this one's whatever. I, I felt like, uh, I feel like that's just a, a, a thing that's going to happen with any artist is uh, eventually the well starts to run dry. Um, so you... Most artists in their older age will try to find people that are younger and then start to kind of pull them along and pass the torch. Now, that's not true of everybody, but I, I, I guess I'm trying to I'm trying to like tie this back into what you were talking about. But essentially, I feel like uh, any artist is going to reach a point, especially with filmmaking, because it's so exhaustive. It's like, you know, it's a, a painter can sit there and paint 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 and he'll paint 50, but 10 will be remembered forever and everyone will focus on those 10. Filmmakers, a film takes three years and it's, uh, you know, it's 90 minutes of paintings 
that you had to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, but if, but if 10, if the first 10 minutes of those paintings, people are like, this sucks. I'm not watching the next 80 minutes. Uh, you're fucked. But, and then people are like, nah, you don't get another chance. That was your chance. Sorry, kid. Good luck. Good luck in the future. And, uh, so there's this, there's this weird kind of, I don't know. I I'm, I'm way off topic, I think, but I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to like, I'm trying to get back to uh, what were you what were you talking about? What were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I I actually think you get you're you're kind of hitting on something uh, uh, that does loop back into this, which is uh, it's an exhausting process, and you can't expect somebody to maintain their quality yeah. over a period of like fifty years or or even you know twenty years, right? Years. And I I mean I guess like to tie it back into Once Upon a Time now. This is a movie that is coming out in, you know, the what it was in 2019, right? I like I was just look, look, I was just before we started, I was looking on YouTube to see when the trailer to rewatch the trailer. I'm just like, and uh, that was like nine months ago, nine less than a year. The trailer came out, and now it's already on. Now it's already old news. Like we're talking about a movie that nobody's really discussing. I mean, the Oscars kind of gives it a little bump, but. I'm not like downplaying our, your show or <laughs> no, you're absolutely like correct. That. We, I, we, we recorded the episode uh, previously on it when it was relevant, but it is, I, I guess you're, you're, you're making an interesting point here about how film is like somewhat uh, more disposable of a medium than maybe we consider these days. I think I would, I would say that's probably accurate just because of the sheer amount of movies that come out. And I think it really takes about... I was watching a clip today between William Friedkin and Nicholas Winding Refn where they were talking about Citizen Kane and Drive. And Refn, of course, finds his own work to be uh, masterpieces. He, he <laughs> specifically said Drive. And then he went over to Only God Forgives was not a flop. It was not a mistake. It's a masterpiece to which uh, William Friedkin had uh, quite the rebuttal to that. He said, no, Citizen Kane is a masterpiece. And Nicholas Refn is like, yeah, it's, it's fine. And then it was like uh, Friedkin does like an office style shot where he looks into the camera. Um, it was it was a great clip. Um, and uh, yeah, but something that Friedkin had said was it takes roughly at least 13 years before you start to see what films actually matter, I guess, in, in just like the general conscious and, and um, have a longevity or, or uh, a long an enduring shelf life to them. So I, I don't think we're going to know. Uh, I mean, a, any of the films that have come out in this past decade, uh, many of them were important in the moment and have never been discussed since. Like Birdman's a movie I really enjoyed back in 2014. I have no interest in going back to that movie or celebrating it as one of the great films of the decade, you know? So mm. uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's tough to say. I think Tarantino is one of those directors that is a tier i would put um just in terms of spectacle and the adoration around them and just how they changed something about the way that filmmaking works uh throughout the periods of activity i would put somebody like a uh, hitchcock on that level or kubrick or uh spielberg i guess um you know, that's not that's to say a, that that's these a very accurate way to portray Spielberg. I think I'm the same. I'm the same way. Spielberg, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. there's plenty of conspiracies yeah. surrounding his daughter, the uh, the sex worker. I don't know if you've heard about these. Maybe we might have to wait for another show. But uh, no, it... I, no, I haven't heard. Oh, Please wow. Share. No, no, no. I, I have. I'm uh, I'm sure you're like, well versed. Yeah. I was like, man, is it bad that I see stuff like that now coming out of Hollywood? And, I, and I'm just like. Oh, I'm so glad to watch this thing crumble because I'm right here, baby. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. as a content creator, you're like, fantastic. We'll be picking up the pieces. Everybody, hey, you guys bored? This way, over here. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I got, I got a, I got a puppet show for you to watch. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I guess the point I was getting at was just because they're a tier in name, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're. Uh, spectacular like that they their names live up to the hype or uh quality or what have you like i would definitely in my personal opinion i think 
somebody like Brian De Palma, his run from the late 70s into the mid to late 80s is one of the strongest of any filmmaker. And he's made some real classics that uh, I think endure. And he he would be in my personal A tier, but I don't think he's an A tier director, generally speaking. So I think I think Tarantino is definitely one of those guys. Will some of his films be forgotten or will they all be remembered? I don't know. People forget about uh, Death Proof, your favorite of, of the, the whole batch. So <laughs> yeah, I, I often forget it when ranking his films. And that's not because I don't like Death Proof. I actually quite enjoyed Death Proof. But it's it left the least amount of impact culturally, I would say. Yeah, I think... I think uh, I, I I think I um, just interrupted Hans. I think he was about to say something. Yes, Hans, you've been very quiet this. Episode. Did you yeah, watch yeah, the movie, or are you are you uh, falsifying this again? No, I did. I I, I actually uh, rewatched the last half hour today uh, just because I wanted to see the the resolution of it again uh, because it it kind of felt like two movies to me. It felt like the first. Two hours was the story about these two guys, and then the last half hour is when we dive deep into them. Uh, so I just wanted to see the last part just to see if it if it holds up. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, there was only one thing that took me out of it. I don't know if you guys remember that scene where the um, family members are in the car, and one of the girls starts like this monologue, uh, the girl with the long hair. And she's really bad. Like she's the only bad performance in the whole thing. And it really, it really took me out of the fact that I'm watching a movie, like a reconstruction of the, this thing that actually happened. The exposition of why they decide to go into uh, Rick yeah. Dalton's home, right? Yeah, that in the theater, I was watching that, and I was like sinking in my seat from like, oh no, oh he's gonna pull the rug out right here and ruin this whole movie if she doesn't shut up and two seconds but 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 besides that i i really enjoyed how cartoony it all became at the end how he resolved any everything in in the most uh grand theft auto way (laughs) the fucking the fucking flamethrower and then the way that uh the brad pitt character killed those kids in just like a brutal just we're gonna show you and you're gonna see it and deal with it i really enjoy that and uh that's another reason why I felt like that's uh, like another movie because uh, I feel like the only thing that was similar to that in the in the first two hours is the Bruce Lee bit, uh, where it's a little bit over the top and kind of uh, doesn't doesn't really go with the narrative that much. It's kind of like a like a little clip outside of the main story, but um, I really enjoy that and and it just put like a. a, a uh, or left like a, a lasting impression on me that he just went like balls out with that ending with everything that happened to the dog in the house and everything. And I just really, really enjoy that. Hmm. <clears throat> so that's what I think about the movie. So. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with, uh, with that, especially I, and I was thinking actually Zoe Bell, while she's not a woman who he then stuck, which he met on, uh, death proof and then he's kind of she's kind of become a regular now and she acts in his things like she was in Hateful Eight and uh, she had a bit part in in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I think she's fine she's serviceable but she's kind of a ham she's it's kind of hammy mm-hmm. and that whole that whole scene with Bruce Lee like you said I think that points to there was a, another thing I was thinking of is while I was watching it it felt very much it doesn't have the chapter this is another one of his movies i think death proof django and this don't have chapters they don't have like mm-hmm. the chap the chapter intertitles which sometimes help his movies because it's like a refresher it takes you out and then you yeah. get thro- thrown back in and it can have a different tone it can you have this little kind of break where he can come back and and his and things are a little tonally shifted, whereas <clears throat> whereas without those, um, this movie felt like he showed up on the day, he shot whatever he wanted to shoot, and then he went home, or maybe a couple days, you know, maybe two days. Like this whole movie to me felt very rushed shooting schedule wise. I remember the you can never tell with um, online. 
uh, press or buzz creation nowadays, if it's actually happening when they're releasing the photos or if it happened like months before and now they're releasing the photos. I, I remember the online hype and the shots and things being pretty close to when the trailer came out, then the movie came out. And I feel like that's all aimed at saving money with marketing nowadays, but it could have, it, it felt like it was a movie. No, <clears throat> a lot of the scenes were side, a little bit easier, easier to shoot and, and all that, but it's, it's less specific, less changing lenses. You just kind of set up your camera and let things go. It felt very sitcom-y, like we were saying, where sometimes it worked for the movie in which they're actually on a set filming something. So that was like, okay, where that feels comfortable. But then there was things that were supposed to be behind the scenes that felt very sitcom-y, but that was supposed to be the real life juxtaposed to the fakeness. Right. So there was... There was moments where I was like, oh, that was great. But then I was like, oh, now now I'm going to sit around for 20 minutes while Brad Pitt walks around. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, all right, man. Okay. Like, uh, I'm that that's whole sequence where he was at at the ranch. I I thought was building to something and then it yeah, didn't. Yeah. And it's I was like deflated. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, what a bummer. But, uh, yeah, the it whole, just that, felt... The whole thing with the old man, that felt like such a hand job, you know, where <laughs> it's building up to something huge, and then Dakota Fanning, who looks... I'm sorry, but she looks like, what the fuck did they do to this <laughs> girl? I didn't, I didn't even know that was Dakota Fanning when I watched the movie. I thought she was just some white trash girl they picked up off the street. She's... She's Yikes. what, 24, 25? How old is this girl? And she looks like a swamp person. Like, uh, and I didn't even know it was her. I was watching it with my girlfriend, uh, and she was like, oh, that's that girl. Isn't that that young girl that whatever? And then I looked it up and I was like, Jesus, what did they do to her? But anyway, that, that build up. Uh, well, she, and she, that was, she was in War of the Worlds, which was directed by oh, Spielberg, dude. if we want to try oh. tie that. <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh, here we go. Okay, let me grab my. Uh, they all have they all have blonde hair and blue eyes, and as someone with blonde hair and blue eyes, I just want to say I find it offensive. <laughs> there's a, I think there's just a, there's a curse around these Spielberg movies that just happens to these young actors. Their lives fall apart, and I mean, I mean, just just Drew, to... Drew Barrymore, the girl from Poltergeist, uh, Dakota Fanning. Yeah, I mean, uh, for the longest where time. Where did Haley Joel Osment go? Where's he at? He's slumped up. He's got a nice full yeah. face now. He's uh, a he's a healthy boy. I, I feel like for the longest time, everybody was just like, yep, if you have a career when you're a child, if you're acting that much, you just go crazy. You go off the rails, which may be true. But I'm sure, you know, being savagely raped probably doesn't help <laughs> either. So uh, this movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you're talking about Bruce Dern, who's maybe about... 60 years older than Dakota Fanning here. Mm. Yeah. He, uh, mm -hmm. Bruce Dern was the last thing I saw him in before that was Nebraska, um, which he was spectacular in. Um, and he actually seemed older and more crazy in Nebraska than he yeah. did in, than he did in this, which I, I, it made me appreciate his performance in Nebraska that much more because I was like, oh, he hasn't gotten that old. He hasn't he isn't that old and that crazy yet, you know? He's yeah, his his performance in this made me think maybe he's got like a health problem where he can't do as much as maybe what he did in The Hateful Eight where he had like a fuller performance and he's not just laying in a bed looking at the wall screaming mm -hmm. things, you know? Yeah. Uh, it well, felt very like Danny... He was, sit he was sitting in Hateful Eight. Oh, yeah. so well, that's now true, he's, too. Now he's in a bed. Who knows what the next performance will be? <laughs> in Earn. Um, <laughs> it, re it reminded me a lot of Sid Haig in Three from Hell. I don't know if you have yeah. seen that movie, but uh, the way that he's used in that, you can tell he's sick, and this is going to be his last performance, and it's like, it's it's, it's not good. So mm -hmm. depressing. It's just a shell. It's just like they, they the body left, and it's just a skin like a snake, and it's just talking in front of a camera. It's horrible what they did. I'm looking yeah. at. I'm looking at. Um, 
Steven Spielberg's uh, <laughs> filmography just to see, yeah. <laughs> just to see if, uh, if we can, um, you know, our, our uh, theory. Um, Henry Thomas, that's a, that's another one, right? The kid from ET. What? What, what, whatever happened to him? Doctor, what do you Did mean he, whatever happened to him? What do you, Doctor Sleep is, he, is what happened. Hey, Jack Nicholson, he's uh, Jack Torrance in the new Shining franchise. Okay. That's that's so, that's a fate worse than death, if you ask me, winding up in that movie. Um, but people still say it's great. They said, oh, the director's cut is even better. I love this uh, movie. I don't under, I can't fathom that. I haven't, um, uh, I, it came and went without me even uh being interested in it uh, yeah, for the best was, was what are you just looking up child actor names who have worked with spielberg <laughs> yeah. Or... yeah i'm actually doing exactly that yes <laughs> <laughs> whatever happened to the kids in jurassic park <clears throat> that's another oh. there was a blonde girl there right yeah, yeah she's she disappeared i mean we, we were criticizing shane black before for maybe a trend but i mean i think all those kids came away healthy and happy well, I mean, uh, the speaking of Doctor Sleep and kids that were in stuff, you, you know, Kubrick gets this, gets this. He has the the air around him, surrounding him, especially from like Boomer age people, that he's this sicko weirdo. When in you hear him interviewed, and he's a pretty well spoken, uh, intelligent dude. And when when he had um, the actor that played Danny, who actually is in Doctor Sleep as well. Um, when he had him on set, he had a handler with him and you can watch the footage and it, it was very, the kid had no idea what he was in and that's the way he wanted it. And, you know, and he protected the kid very much. So, so it's weird how that guy went on to never be in another movie and had a very successful, normal life where he, I, I'd tell Dr. Sleep, of course, but where he like, I think he became a professor or something like that. He's, yeah. you know, a but very no- normal guy. Shelley Duvall, on the other hand, is uh, you know ripping her hair out and running down bowling That's lanes right. nude. From what I hear, she's uh, she's a real nut. Um, anyhow, that's true. That's true. You can't win them all. He was nice to the kids. He was nice no to women. the kids. But Sorry, Shelley, women. Shelley Duvall. Another life, <laughs> second life. Corbett for be nice to women. He's nice to kids. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <clears throat> Getting back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, what did you guys make of the extended sequences where were in the Western, uh, where Leonardo DiCaprio is acting alongside? He's I, Tarantino's got an interesting collective of actors in this film, filling out the supporting roles with Timothy Oliphant and uh, Luke Perry and uh, Perry. faces. Yeah, he he's in the movie. Um, did he make it into the the final cut of the movie, or was he only in the deleted scenes? He is in the the cut of the beginning i think he's wearing that hat with the leopard print he, he's in the movie yeah yeah, yeah he's, not, he's not in it much though he's no. not in it much at all uh but but you do see a pretty different uh roster of players in this movie than your average tarantino film with the exception of leo and kurt russell in dual roles um but what what, what did you guys think of the jumping in and out between the natural storyline of the film and then also the film and television aspects where they really do eat up a good portion of the movie. You're there with those characters playing characters for up to like 11 to 15 minutes without a break. I think um, this actually kind of touches on what I was getting at, where I would say that <clears throat> I I know I said that there's the pre kill bill post kill bill quentin but i would say that it, there's it's really kind of more pre and post inglorious bastards and the reason is sally menke his editor who edited movies until she passed away until she died uh hiking i guess it was or that was the official story so um like she fell, she fell uh, off of uh, the trail by the, by the Hollywood sign, something to that. But oh boy, there's the story. But he he has had a different editor since, and that editor is much more. As anybody knows, like if you're editing your own stuff, you would leave in 
<clears throat> very you have very different reasons for leaving things in than if somebody who wasn't connected to like if somebody edited this podcast that wasn't connected to it they would only edit in what they enjoyed or what they found necessary like they might cut out all the tangents and just focus on <laughs> once upon a time in hollywood mm -hmm. you know and uh as a result you get an entirely different experience so this there's a all females have always been the best editors in my opinion in hollywood because they i, I don't know just any really great sequence seems to have some female touch where she is focusing they tend to focus on character moments more and they tend to win battles by being a little bit kinder like two dudes working on art can be like fuck you it's going in oh, no yeah, it's yeah. not oh suck my dick dude <laughs> i you always want to put that shit in and like whether it's funny or like they really have it out um that's the way dudes kind of function. But as soon as you bring in that female dynamic, it's, well, that could work. Or, you know, maybe we could try it this way. <laughs> and you're right. like, all right, we'll try it that way. And then you do, and you might get something totally new that neither one of you was ready for. And uh, Quentin always talked about Sally being the, an editor who she would say, you know, he would be like, there's nobody in the frame like in Reservoir Dogs, there's a long stretch where there's nobody on screen. They're around a corner. And she's she, her argument was, you don't want to cut into this performance, the timing and everything. This is really good acting. You just want to let it play out. And she kind of knew that stuff. And in Death Proof, um, <clears throat> there's a, a setup of a gun where they're talking about uh, the the uh, in the second half of the movie, they're at the breakfast and... Uh, one of the stunt girls that not Zoe Bell, the, the black actress, what's I can't remember her name, but she's like she she shows her Roscoe, her pistol, but they don't cut to it, which is a, such a Sally Menke thing. You know, they shot a close up of it, of her showing her gun around her ankle, but they don't show it. And then when it goes off later and it hits Kurt Russell in the arm, it generally startled me because I was like, oh, I forgot she had a gun. You know, because they didn't show it to me. If they had shown it to me, I would. It loses a, its surprise later on. So, I think the biggest issue with these long stretches in Once Upon a Time is, uh, you know, Quentin liking the smell of his own farts. Like he, he's like, he's like, man, this is a good idea. And the other guy might have been like, "Yeah, this is good. You don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to cut this out. This is great, Quentin. I'm just ha I'm happy to be here editing." And if you look at that editor's uh, filmography, he does like standard blockbuster Hollywood kind of bullshit. You know, mm. um, who's the then, editor on on this movie? Is it uh, I can't remember Fred Raskin or I can't remember his name. Um, that sounds like it might be it, but. I uh, I remember looking it up because I wanted to see what else he had been doing. And uh, he's done every one of Quentin's movies since. I think he's done a couple of things that were okay. It is. It it's is Fred Raskin. Raskin. Yeah, he's worked on Fast Five, The Suicide yeah. Squad, James Gunn's new uh, magnum opus, right. I guess. Uh, and uh, the one – oh, he actually worked on Bone Tomahawk, which is a very uh, good yeah. western. So. so it's it's but uh, of course he's working with a guy who has final cut and knows exactly has the whole movie in his head beforehand you know mm -hmm. uh like zoller is you know he he knows exactly what he's putting on screen uh you know it's like jean pierre jeunet who, who who has said like deleted scenes and outtakes he was like what are those he was like i don't shoot it if it's not going in the movie the i know what i'm storyboards everything ahead of time and he's like this is the movie that there's nothing else happening but that's how this this felt like let's go oh, let's get some really great people talented people together i got kind of an idea and uh you know let's we'll see what happens that's kind of how the movie felt to me whereas like kill bill felt like this meticulously planned out um really envisioned Peace and even to some extent, Inglorious Bastards felt a little bit that way because there's a lot of like sets and stuff. This is just 
oh, let's decorate the streets, which was awesome. The art direction yeah. was awesome. Um, but let's decorate the streets of Hollywood. Let's shoot it in real locations. It, it, it felt even the sets that they built in the film felt pretty minimal um, just to serve their purpose uh, or they're shooting in a Western. It, it felt like Set, most. Yeah. yeah, it just felt like most of the money was spent on the actors to play all the parts and uh, and the crew to be there and, and to redo some, you know, some streets to make them look old and the cars and stuff. But I don't know. It just felt like it just felt very thrown together and that and and yeah. that's kind of weirdly a thrown together movie is longer than a movie that's planned out because those are you know it's like that saying i would have written you a shorter letter but i didn't have enough time i think you're making an interesting observation with this movie and the films that that follow kill bill and inglorious bastards where i'll say up to inglorious bastards <clears throat> that might be the last one it does feel like Quentin is hyper-focused and meticulous with every single aspect of the story and the editing and the characters. And it is around that time, and especially I think I began to notice it more with Django Unchained, where it felt a little sloppier, a little looser. And certainly with Hateful Eight and with this movie, there are aspects of that. Although I do think it's a little more tightened up than Django was and and Hateful Eight. Um but it does. I, I understand what you're saying too, with the the kind of whatever nature of certain parts of it. Um, it makes me think if he was maybe if part of his brain was possibly preoccupied, because when he began production on this movie, it was around the same time that Uma Thurman had kind of publicly thrown him under the bus over the whole Kill Bill stunt accident. Did you hear anything about that? I. Th- I vaguely remember I vaguely remember something about Uma and him being uh, at odds, but uh, I don't remember the spe- uh, specificity of, of it. So around the time that this movie had entered production or uh, was in the middle of production, Uma Thurman had – and this, this was like during Me Too. Uma Thurman had uh, publicly requested the footage of her getting into a car accident – during Kill Bill Volume 2, where she wound up doing a stunt on her own, per Quentin's insisting, and she came away pretty injured from that. And I think they've mended, you know, that relationship since, but that was like a massive media firestorm for him. And then around the same time, they were just like going at him at all angles, where uh, he said something about Roman Polanski or or, or a defense of Roman Polanski, uh, uh, certainly not something to to say or whatever. Um, and they, you know, just added that to it. So he was kind of, you know, in the media's crossfires for a good month or two while this movie was happening. And I think in some aspects, parts of this movie feels like a response to that whole thing. What do you mean? Like, what part? Well, there there seems to be some kind of like underlying not hostile sentiment but just just uh something like a defensive nature like i i, I think I, the one moment that comes to mind for me is when brad pitt is in the car and you have the underage manson girl who's actually played by uma thurman's daughter coming on to him offering him a blow job and he just kind of remains steadfast i'm not getting locked up for this he's you know shutting down every single advance that she makes so uh, aspects like that, where that would not be like the social nature of 1960-something, you know, where you have, like, what, did Elvis marry his 15-year-old cousin or something? Uh, you know, there was yeah. definitely, like, a different perspective on matters like that that was more popular and transparent in the culture. But it it fits more with today's, like, social paradigm, I guess. So there, there's parts like that, and... Uh, is, is some other things with like the Manson girls that happen later in the film towards the final confrontation between Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth and their murder. So, I I um <clears throat> I really enjoyed those uh all the time all the different ratio like the way that he made them look, but mostly because I. 
I'm one of those people that just enjoy watching old shitty shit. So old westerny stuff like that, or old you know uh, TV shows from the 70s and 60s where everything is just in like a shitty set and people are not great actors. Maybe there's a couple of great actors, but then surrounded by people that are not that great, uh, and everything just feels a little bit cheap and a little bit shitty. I love that type of stuff. So so whenever they will go into that in the film, I perked up because I'm really into that look and I'm really into that type of acting. Not in a not in a this is amazing way, but more in a I love this type of trash. <laughs> if, if, I don't know if I should be calling it trash, but you know, like that type of uh, low budget uh, old production. Uh, so to me, it just added an extra layer of uh, something that's not really shown uh, when they're not playing those parts or when they're not doing that. And it, it put me into their world of that time more than whatever he's shown whenever they're just being regular people uh, with uh, you know the set design and everything they did to change the, the look of Los Angeles. But those little shorts, I guess you can call them, uh, put me more into that time uh, or in that, that the 60s uh, Los Angeles that anything else they did. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, now that you guys are putting it like that, especially for what Tim said, thinking back on it, then yeah, that may, makes a lot of sense. But when I was watching it, I guess just because I'm a sucker for that kind of thing, it, it, I feel like it added to it instead of taking out. Uh, but that's just because I love trash. Love. Just uh, one more aspect that just came to mind, not to, Gloss over everything. uh, Not to gloss over everything that you just said, Hans. Uh, Just on the point I was uh, making before about how Quentin's kind of like responding to the social culture of today. Uh, The whole Cliff Booth character and his origin story of how he killed his wife. Maybe he deliberately murdered her. Maybe he accidentally murdered her. Um, And yet he's still kind of looked at as this noble character and this good guy very comically um and then uh, and then you had zoe bell's character call him that wife murdering whatever get that wife murdering whatever off my set or something like that mm-hmm. and it and it did seem oddly like <laughs> it just seemed odd like i don't know if I, what personally when i would was right when i'm writing i wouldn't be like all right now i'm gonna do what am i gonna do i'm gonna how about a character that how about he killed his wife on a boat with a spear gun <laughs> it just seems strange it seems strange well it doesn't are you familiar like, Django with the... Unchained, Django unchained you know what i mean i'm along for the ride i get it everything in there i get it and then this one, it was just seemed like there was a lot of stuff in it where I was like, I don't, I don't know where that come from, dude. Are you all right? What's been, what's going on in your life that's making you write this stuff? Yeah. Are, are you familiar with the whole Natalie Wood case with Robert Culp and Christopher Walken about how uh, Robert Culp's wife randomly fell off a boat and died while he and two other guys were partying? That's kind of what that echoed, in my opinion. Okay, so. I think I think he's just kind really, of regurgitating old Hollywood aspects. Yeah, it was very rushed, uh, brush under the rug though. It was just like that couple of minutes where she freaked out, uh, mostly because of how he kicks uh, Bruce Lee's ass. Uh, but I, it's not mentioned anymore. I uh, and then the entire rest of the film, uh, we are uh, being convinced that he's a good guy by everything else he does. Uh, so it is kind of a weird. Right, there Which, that... it's it's the most transparent display of like Quentin being like "fuck you" to everybody who criticizes <laughs> him. Like the girl who stood up and was like, "Oh well, what about Margot Robbie's dialogue? I don't. Is there not enough dialogue for this character?" Um, but let's not let's not even get into the petty controversies of that. This isn't like, you know. Anyway, uh... what about like the Shannon Lee thing? Oh, what, what is what that? is this? No, hold on. What were you talking about? Hans okay. had noticed something before we started recording, and I forgot to bring it up. What's going on, Shannon Lee? So Shannon Lee is Bruce Lee's daughter. Uh, she was three years old when he died. So uh, 
take whatever she says uh, like a grain of salt because she didn't know him. Uh, but she made this huge fuss about how, you know, he wasn't being portrayed how he really was. Um, and uh, a lot of the things she said just contradicted herself once she was confronted because Tarantino pretty much just said, well, fuck it, it's my movie. And he wasn't arrogant like that. And people heard him say the things he said. So, like, I'm not going to apologize. And then she went back saying, I actually have the quote. So at first she says... Uh, that she's upset that she wasn't included at all because she's his daughter, so I guess she was supposed to get a call. Uh, and then uh, she said that uh, it's not worth my time and energy, but then she did this whole thing about how, you know, uh, the movie characters are anti-heroes, and this has this characteristic style in another of his rage fantasies, uh, saying that, you know, we're supposed to make Brad Pitt to be a badass that he can beat up Bruce, but... That that would never happen, and it just because the media, you know, they love creating controversy where there's nothing instead of just telling her to go back to whatever the fuck she's doing because who cares about what this lady has to say? Um, Quentin went back at her saying that, and then she just said, "Well, he could shut up about it. Uh, that would be really nice, or he could apologize." I don't really know. What, I, he could say that I, he didn't know what Bruce Lee was like, and he just wrote the story for the movie, and then she said. He can portray Bruce Lee however he wanted, and he did. But it's a little disingenuous for him to say, well, this is how he was, and this is a fictional movie. So there was this huge controversy just because this lady, who knew uh, Bruce Lee for three (laughs) years of her fucking life, was saying that, no, he's being misrepresented, and he wasn't arrogant, and, you know, he was a man of the people, and he was the nicest person in the world. And Quentin was just like, well, fuck you. Like, I I don't care. It's my movie. Yeah. What what a completely pointless bit of information all of that was. Jesus. <laughs> I also like how you completely as you go on talking about it, you're just like removing all association she has to him, even though that's his like offspring. Like but I mean I understand what you're saying, but you're like this old lady who barely knew Bruce Lee. Um I I would say it's funny how that's the scene everybody seems to seems to talk about is how he portrayed Bruce Lee. Now I thought it was comically like it was comical because I know that based on Kill Bill, Bruce Lee has obviously is obviously uh, an entity that uh, that Quentin respects and likes. But I think the re- he was using so <clears throat> it's kind of backhanded compliment because he was saying that uh that uh Brad Pitt's character is so cool he beat up one of the coolest toughest philosopher kings the world of cinema has ever known so it was like his save the cat moment this guy killed his wife so now we're going to have to do something to really redeem him in the eyes of the audience which is he's going to br- beat up Bruce Lee but to me <laughs> It's all a giant distraction from the fact that that uh, uh, what's his name there? Rowan uh, probably murdered. (laughs) Probably is the one that murdered Sharon Tate. (laughs) I mean, I know this is this is crazy. This is crazy. Um, But I, I have always found it strange that some hippie who has done his best to live out in the middle of nowhere had a prolific murder (laughs) pinned on him. And this is in the height of like the CIA, like poisoning people with drugs era. And it, you know, and uh, that's all out in that, you know, DC and Hollywood are essentially the same town. Um, But uh, for me, (laughs) It all seemed like a giant distraction from the fact that um, that he, he portrayed uh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, Roman I, Polanski or Roman Polanski? Yeah, Roman <laughs> Roman Polanski. I, not that Chinatown isn't a fucking masterpiece of cinema, but um, he, I think he murdered Sharon Tate. Oh, blamed it on. Blamed it on. <laughs> Blamed it on some hippies. I, it just doesn't gel to me. It just doesn't gel. Um, this is the first I've ever heard of this theory, by the way. I'm going to have to do some, some reading up. Hans, have you heard this?